The challenge is, is that we chase what we think we need in order to achieve happiness. You guys with me? The challenge is we chase what we think we need in order to achieve happiness, and we realize it cannot give us the satisfaction that we so desperately want. In fact, we never imagined, you've probably never thought this, that getting our heart's deepest desires might be the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that getting your heart's deepest desires might be the very worst thing that ever happened to you? If you could have your dream fulfilled, whatever that might be, have you ever thought that maybe accomplishing that dream or getting that deepest desire, that deepest longing might be the worst thing that could ever happen to you? One of the reasons is that because pursuing our idol ultimately leaves us restless. And there's so many ways in which we can illustrate this. I mean, how many of you ever um, bought a new car, right? A brand new car, zero miles on the odometer. Just how many? You know, how many of you love the smell of new car? Just, right? And then your kids get it the first time and they drop a french fry and you lose your mind, right? Because that's kind of how it goes. And then someone scratches it when you park it at Mariano's parking lot because their parking lot spaces are way too small, Right? And on and on and on we can go. And then you get the new car, and then someone gets another car, and you're like, man, I, I think I need another new car. Or here's my favorite. Apple has tapped into this. Because Apple has created a product that people will stand in line overnight just so that they can have the latest upgrades. You know why? Because our hearts were created for more. In fact, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes that eternity is written on our hearts. One way to illustrate, illustrate it is this way. Marcus Pearson, the investor, or I'm sorry, the inventor of Minecraft. Now, some of the older adults may not know what Minecraft is, but if you're under 15, you know, right? It's a game that millions and millions of people played. It was bought out by Microsoft. Microsoft bought his company and this game and the rights to this game for $2.7 billion. I don't know about you, but that would be a pretty cool dream to have come true. You create something that millions and millions of people enjoy. You create a game, and then you get paid $2.7 billion for that. And I don't know about you, but that's pretty slick. And you would think that if you got $2.7 billion, and I thought about this yesterday, that means no more TSA and walking through the lines, right? You fly you know, on a private jet everywhere you want to go, whenever you want to go. You just roll up to the tarmac and just step on, right? I mean, it's, a, it's next level living. And here's this guy, and they actually wrote a story about a rant that he went on social media, on a social media called Twitter. And one of the things that he said was this. He said, I'm hanging out in Ibiza. My wife texted me this week. She goes, what's Ibiza? I'm like, I don't know, but it sounds like I want to go, right? <laughs> I think it's a cool island. And he said, hanging out in Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with a bunch of famous people, able to do whatever I want. Look at what he says. I've never felt more isolated in my life. I've never felt more isolated. Now, friends, I want to tell you, this should challenge our thinking. I mean, if we're truly going to follow Jesus and if we claim to worship the one true God, shouldn't the pursuit of our lives be fundamentally different than those who don't know Jesus? We should have a trajectory and a direction in our life that, that transcends, if you will, anything this world has to offer. Yet most of us struggle to faithfully worship God with a devoted heart and a devoted life. 
Most of us go back and forth in our pursuit of God and his plans for our lives. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some days, man, you're just like all in with God. Like, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to obey your word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell other people about Christ. I want my life to be uh, centered on you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And then like the next day, you're just like, I can't handle this religious stuff. I, this Jesus thing just isn't working for me. I'm going to invest my life in this, my work or my friends or my popularity or on and on and on we can go. And so we try to find in other things what only God can provide for us. And so what happens is, and I, I do this, and I imagine many of you do as well, and the Bible addresses this issue. Because in Exodus chapter 32, we find the children of Israel walking through the desert. And Mike did a great job of this last week. They're going through the desert. And the desert was a journey. And the journey was about them drawing closer to God. The journey was about God strengthening their faith. It was about God elevating their faith. It was about God becoming real in their life and them realizing that God was all that they needed. I mean, at one point, they were going to be attacked by their enemies and God provided a way out. At another point, they were hungry and God provided manna and he provided quail. Two other times, they were thirsty in the desert and they needed something to drink and God provided water. Over and over again, we find God meeting their needs as a way of life. Every single day, the children of Israel could look up into the sky and the Bible says that they would see a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Here's the crazy thing. They never had to wonder what direction to go because God was always in front of them leading the way. And yet, that wasn't enough for them. And I don't know about you, but I often find myself right here in this story. I find myself, God, meeting my needs. God being real in my life. God showing up strong and doing some supernatural and miraculous things in my life. I oftentimes look up to God, and when I don't know which way to go, God is directing me. But I also find myself in Exodus chapter 32 with the children of Israel, a few short chapters away from making a commitment to be all in with God. And now in their impatience and in their ignorance, they say, all right, I need something else. I got to have something else because this whole God thing isn't working for me. It's not, it's not enough. And what happens is, is they create an idol, something that they think is going to deliver them, something that is tangible, something that they could put their hands on and something that they could actually see and they were going to pursue that at the expense of their relationship with God. Now here's the big idea today, and that is this. A fickle heart will lead you to idolatry and a heart fixed on God will lead you into favor. Now, God promised power and blessing to his people if they were devoted to him. And it should motivate us to study how they could come from this moment of commitment. Just a few short chapters earlier, if you read this, go on today and check this out. God gives them the commandments, the Ten Commandments. He shares with them how they're supposed to live, and they go all in. They consecrate, they separate their lives unto God. And just a few short chapters later, they're totally bailing on that. They abandon 
the truth that they, they had believed. But friends, I want to tell you today, it shouldn't, it shouldn't, but it often surprises me how quickly I and you can go to being so committed to God to abandoning what is right. It's actually a bit frustrating. But Romans chapter 7 says this, for I know Paul said this, the apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament said this, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not, I do, not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do uh, not want is what I keep on doing. How many of you say, I feel that this morning? And the reality is, is that if the Apostle Paul can give that very testimony, I don't know, but you and I are in pretty good company, Right? Because some days, man, I really want to be committed to Jesus. And some days, I really want to be committed to following him. But on other days, because of my heart being so fickle and, and, and almost like a squirrel looking for a nut. One time, when, I was, uh, when my wife and I was first married, we lived over in Park Forest. And there was this squirrel. And as I was driving down the road, uh, it was, he, he looked one way. And then he looked another way. And it was like he didn't know what to do, right? So I sped up the car because I was going to help him out, Right? But I looked over at my wife and I said, a double-minded squirrel is unstable in all of his ways, right? And I always think about that. It's just such a stupid thing, but I think about that because, listen, when we're fickle and we don't know what we're committed to and our hearts aren't fixed on and devoted to God, you're going to live a life that's filled with regret. And so this morning, let's look at what it means to be idolatrous, the definition of idolatry. Today, we're not setting our hearts to worship cows or Buddhas or any other statue for that matter. Can I just say something about the children of Israel? Why a calf? Right? There's a lot of animals in the animal kingdom that I think would be more, like, powerful. You know, like, why not a liger, right? Some of you guys will get that to see Napoleon Dynamite a little bit later. But a tiger, right? A rhinoceros, I don't know, maybe they had di- di- dinosaurs back then, maybe a T-Rex or something. Something with some, like, some moxie, Right? They came up with a calf. And isn't that true? Like when we come up with our own idols, idols, they're always lesser than God. And that's exactly what's going on here. But our hearts become obsessed in worship and the idols that we worship are complicated and they're very subtle. And yet they leave us broken and they leave us with an even greater void than when we began pursuing them. Now, what is an idol? An idol is this. An idol is anything that has to be a part of your future in order for your life to be worth living. An idol is anything that has to be a part of your future in order of your life to be worth living. Idols are something that we look to for things only God can give. It is anything that is more important to you than God. And and here's the thing. Sometimes they are so subtle and our idols are so complicated. We're not even aware most of the time when something has taken the place of God in our hearts and our minds and in our lives. And so a counterfeit God is anything so central and so essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. It captivates your heart. For some of you, it's sex. For others, it's substance, like substance abuse. For others of you, it's security. You have to feel safe. For others, it's popularity. You have to be liked. For some, it's success. You have to achieve. And on and on and on, we can go, but these, these, these idols, if you will, while they're not cows and they're not Buddhas, they are things that we attempt to use to replace what only God can do and be in our life. And so how do you know that something has become an idol? Now in James chapter 4, verse number 2, um, the Bible says this, you desire and you do not have, so you murder, all right? You murder. 
Or you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, there's two ways, if you will, that you can diagnose whether or not you have an idol in your life. Something that's captivated you. Something that life would not be worth living if it wasn't in your life or not a part of your life. Number one, ask yourself this question. Am I willing to sin in order to get what I want? That's the first part of that verse because he says, you desire and you do not have, and so you murder. I mean, in James' case here, he's saying, you're willing to kill someone else in order to obtain what you want. And on a smaller scale, some of us are willing to sin. We're willing to lie. We're willing to cheat. We're willing to steal. We're willing to do whatever it takes to get what we think is going to bring us peace and joy and happiness in this life. And so are you willing to sin in order to get that thing that you want? And some of the things that we want aren't bad. Being successful in life is not inherently evil. Wanting a spouse that loves you and speaks kindly to you, that's not inherently evil. Wanting to have kids that obey, that's not bad, amen? But if I'm willing to sin in order to get any of those things, that thing, that thing, that pursuit has crossed the threshold of becoming a desire to becoming a deity, a God in my life that I want more than I want to please God. The second way is this, is do you sin in response when you don't get what you want? Because James goes on to say, you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You're willing to fight for it. And when I say fight, you're willing to fight in a way that is sinful. And for some spouses, that might be clamming up. For others, that might be um, uh, in the way in which you uh, approach a situation. Um, I remember hearing a story of a guy who worked at a job, and he goes, uh, actually, I was in a counseling session years ago uh, when I was doing my uh, counseling training, and this guy says, man, uh, they call me in when they want things to get done. And I, I was observing at the time, the counselor said, well, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, I get stuff done. Well, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, I lose my temper and I curse out people and, and then they do their job, right? And, and, and that's one way, right? <laughs> to get people to do what they want. And yes, he's successful in his field, but he's willing to sin in response in order to get what he wants. That's how we know that something has become an idol. So both of these questions help us diagnose if your desire has crossed over to idolatry. These questions identify what we worship more than God. Now look at here. We see the definition, but let's look at the drift. Let's look at the drift into idolatry. The children of Israel in verse 1, the children of Israel had some tendencies that, that we do that led them to replace God with a counterfeit. And counterfeits are just that. Counterfeits are just nothing more than an empty fake, right? They're not real. And so in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, the Bible says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. The Bible says that when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, that these people did two things. The first one is this. I want you to write this word down because this is what they did initially. They ignored. They ignored. And what I mean by that is they ignored God. And listen, do you remember me saying this just a few moments ago? All they had to do was look up. All they had to do, forget about Moses because Moses wasn't the guy God was, right? All they had to do was look up and see and behold the very presence and the very glory of God. That's all they had to do. But instead, they ignored God in their life. So Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, 
and in the mountain where the pillar of fire and the cloud that contained the presence of God was, was dwelling, they just ignored that. And friends, I want to tell you today, when we get to a place in our life where we've lost the awe and wonder of God, we've gotten to a place where we begin to drift into foolishness. And can I say something to some of you today? Some of you are walking down a very quick path to idolatry. And it's, it's subtle. And yeah, it might be a little complicated, but it might be just as simple as this. You've just ignored God in your life. You may have just stopped reading your Bible. You may have just stopped coming to church faithfully. You may have just stopped coming to growth group and living in community with other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. You may just stop obeying some things very, very simply that God has called us to do. And that, that, that ignoring of God, if you will, are the first steps that we take into foolishness and into idolatry. Those are the first steps that we take. And so they ignored God, but the second thing that they did was this. They didn't just ignore God, but they were impatient. They were impatient. They said, oh, we don't know. We don't know what happened to Moses. And here's the deal. I have to constantly pray that I don't get ahead of God. God had a plan for the people of Israel. God had a purpose for their lives. He had a, he had a plan for them corporately. He had a plan for them individually. And sometimes in our lives, we know always that God has a plan, but part of that plan sometimes is that God wants us to wait. And most of us are not good at waiting. We get impatient with God when things don't, when the deliverance doesn't come, when the, the finances don't turn around right away, or when the sickness isn't cured, or when the job doesn't come, or the promotion isn't there, or people don't like us the way that we think that we need to be like. And so, so impatience sets in, and I'm going to tell you, we get ourselves into more trouble just simply by being impatient with God. And God, part of the journey is, is to be still and to know that He is God. You know, there's a fear. It's a fear that we just don't believe that God is going to come through on his promises. That's, I mean, that really, to some level, isn't that what it comes down to? I mean, we just, we want to trust God. We want to believe in God. We want to know that God is real. We want to know that God is going to show up. In fact, we tell other people that God's real. We tell other people that we believe in God. But by our actions, functionally, the way that we live our life, we have an incredible tendency to take life into our own hands and say, okay, God, I understand, but I'm going to take this over now. And whenever we do that, we get into a bad place. The patience with God's timing will always lead us to fearful and foolish choices. Instead of waiting on God, they became impatient, demanding that they had an idol. And so you see this drift, but then you see this danger. And here's the thing. I know when we talk about God and we talk about idolatry and like, how many of you ever heard like in a movie or someone say, man, that's Old Testament God. You know, how many of you ever heard that phrase before? Old Testament God is the God of wrath, right? He just, he'll wipe you out, right? And, and, and to some degree, our minds have been conditioned to believe that every time we mess up, God's just gonna bring the hammer down and punish us. I mean, to some degree, that's exactly what happened in Exodus chapter 32. But that's not the God that we deal with in the New Testament. But here's what I want you to understand. The very nature, the danger of idolatry will cause you to turn your back on God. Because idols, and you might write this down, idols demand our attention, money, allegiance, and energy. Idols, 
Idols demand our attention. For some of you, your kids might be an idol. Their safety might be an idol. For some, it might be success, and it might be making money and being financially secure. That might be your idol. And, and, and for some, it, I, I could go on and on today, but in every one of these areas that we build up and we construct these things that we obsess about, these things that we worship, these things that we think we have to have, otherwise life isn't worth living, they demand our attention, our allegiance, uh, they demand our energy, and they leave us, listen, with nothing. They leave us with nothing. And so Tim Keller writes, idols are spiritual addictions that lead to terrible evil. They lead to terrible either, evil. Now listen, forget punishment for a minute. But just think about this. All the things that you've constructed in your life that you have to have. And here's, you, all, you honestly know most of the time what those things are because when, they, when there's a fear of it being taken away, you freak out. You stress out, you get anxiety, you get depressed, or you get angry. That's how you know ultimately that something has become more important to you than God. And so do you realize the very thing that you think that you have, that you cannot uh, live without, isn't what you actually need. And it cannot give you what you want and it cannot give you what you truly desire. And so when we center our lives on the idol, we become, listen, dependent on it. And let me ask you this. In what scenario can your worship of your pursuit or your idol provide you with hope and what can it provide you with deliverance? I mean, you, you, can, you can pray for your kids all that you want. Are you guys with me? But they can still make bad decisions. You can. You can protect your children all you want, but they, they're still going to suffer. You can put as much money as you want away, but the economy can collapse. Can I get a witness? Right? We can do everything humanly possible and lose everything and do everything right. But friends, I want you to know that whenever God allows those things to happen in our life, they're there to elevate and move our faith forward so that we might have a greater love and appreciation and allegiance to him. One writer said it this way, when our hearts turn from the Lord, they always turn to foolishness, to things that won't satisfy and to seasons that will be filled with regret. The danger isn't the punishment. The danger is giving your life to something that cannot give back to you what you really desire. You guys with me? That's the danger. And if I'm here to herald anything to you today, it's don't invest your life don't give allegiance to your heart and to your, to, your, to your pursuits and to your love and to your worship to something that can't give back to you what you actually need and ultimately what you desire. If you give your life to anything but to God, there's always regret. Now in Psalm 115, it says this, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak, and eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make sound in their throat. They can't even talk. Those who make them, listen, become like them, and so do all who trust them. Whatever it is in your life that you're constructing, that you think you need to have, that you're building your life, and that's the foundation of your life, in a moment... It can all be taken away and you'll lose everything. But in life, when life comes and it hits you in the face like a wave like we heard about this morning, 
when it hits you in the face and every earthly good and every earthly thing is taken from you, you have a foundation that is rock solid that will be a refuge to you no matter how bad things get. It happened to Job in the Old Testament when he lost his kids, he lost his wealth, he was stricken with illness. And he says, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. One day your idol will crush you with the weight of its demands. It will never be enough and you will continue to pursue it more and more until you've lost yourself and your life is filled with regret and emptiness. And that's what's wrong with most idols. They give us the counterfeit perception that if we achieve, accomplish, or acquire, you fill in the blank, that you will be happy and it's just never true. So how do we get to a place of deliverance? Pursuing something that isn't fleeting. I imagine some of you here today feel the weight, weightiness of your foolish pursuits. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're just thinking like, man, I'm wasting my life on trying to achieve this or to accomplish this, or I'm wasting my, my life on trying to protect this. And friends, I'm not telling you this morning not to pray for your kids. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be wise in how you protect and raise kids to know and love and follow Jesus and make wise decisions. I'm not saying that you shouldn't achieve or seek to be successful in, in, in the world in which you live. God has created us for that, but when we build our lives on that, it will not deliver us. It will not create an identity that lasts for eternity. And maybe this morning, you've gotten to a place in your life where you're alone. Maybe you're at a place where you recognize the pursuit of direction of your life has left a void or a trail of brokenness that you need to do something about. And I don't want to mislead you today. Sin is fun until it is not. Let's just be honest. Proverbs says that sin is fun for a season. We can pursue things and we can achieve things and we can accomplish things. And initially, like buying a new car, getting an upgrade on a phone, or seeing our kids be successful in some arena of life, those things can bring happiness to our life. But if that is all that our life is built on, it's nothing more than fleeting. Some of the choices that <clears throat> some of you have made, maybe you haven't yet experienced the weight or the regret and the, the, the sinfulness of those choices. And yet others of you this morning, you've pursued and chased success and sex and substance and even self, and your life is so void of any joy and of any peace and of any rest. And yet the good news is, is there's hope for the person that wants uh, God in their lives this morning. There's an invitation for us to replace our idols with Jesus. And listen to this. Idols can't just be removed. They have to be replaced. They have to be replaced. You have to find your security in Jesus Christ. You have to find your salvation in Jesus Christ. You have to find your satisfaction in Jesus Christ. You have to find everything in life and everything that your heart craves for and longs for and needs, it must be found in Jesus Christ. And until Jesus is all you have, you don't really know that Jesus is all that you need. And there are some of you that are sitting in this room today that you have experienced the brokenness that this life has. Some of you are sitting in here today and, and you're alone because your spouse isn't here with you. Your kids have walked away from the Lord. Some of you are sitting in here today and you know what it means to experience financial loss and you've lost everything. Some of you know what it is to see your kids just walk away from God or some of you even know what it is to have lost a child. And I want to tell you, 
You don't know that you need Jesus until Jesus is all that you have. And some of you have experienced that, and that is the story of grace and the testimony of your heart and life. So I want to say today the only hope for idolatry is that you might replace your empty, shallow gods and pursuits to worship God alone faithfully. And Jesus invites us into this worship. Matthew 5 eight says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And we tend to think about that being a burst on sexual purity when in reality, this passage is all about a people or a person who has a heart devoted to God, that their allegiance is for God, that they're all about God, that they're seeking God. And in that allegiance, they get more of the very thing that their heart is devoted to and aligned with. You see, when your heart's devoted to God, your life will be more satisfied than you could possibly imagine. You can lay down your idol to pursue God alone. So I want to encourage you today, pursue God. Worship Him with a devoted heart. Live entirely for Him and watch Him bless you in ways that you never imagined were even possible. Take your idol. And we didn't read this this morning, but take your idol and crush it and grind it down to the ground, just like Moses did to the golden calf then replace it with the one true God who always, listen, God always delivers on his promises. Always. And don't believe for a moment the empty promises of this world and its pursuits. But do realize this, that a fickle heart will lead you to a, a life of idolatry and a heart fixed on God will lead you to a life of favor.